they see John Stewart as this sort of generational voice who, in addition to being sort of a master of the craft of political satire, was in many cases like the most clear-eyed truth teller about what was happening in American politics, culture, media, etc. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, January 25th. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about major news in the world of politics and media. Jon Stewart is returning to The Daily Show for the 2024 election, on Monday nights at least. But Stewart will executive produce the whole show and try to bring back some sanity to our broken political conversation. Dylan and I have a question though. Can Stewart recapture the magic that made the show so great in its time? Or has the world just changed too much since his heyday? We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am, I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy thursday everybody welcome to the powers that be we got big big news uh at the intersection of media politics and hollywood this week which is that john stewart will return as host of the daily show every monday for the 2024 election cycle. He will also EP the show, have a heavy hand in controlling the comedy and satire that made The Daily Show so great for a certain era. If you are of a certain age, this will be amazing news. If you are not of a certain age, you'll probably say, who cares? If you're in between those two ages, you might ask, will this actually work? And I'm joined today by Dylan Byers, who, like me, is in between those ages. He's a little more bullish on this working. 
I'm a little more bearish. We will get into those healthy disagreements in a moment. But first, Dylan, welcome to the show. Tell us why Jon Stewart decided to come back to cable at a time when cable isn't doing so well, but also at a time when I think we do need some sanity in our commentary. Trevor Noah obviously left The Daily Show recently and they've been looking for a new host. Is this kind of just a fun stopgap and also something for Jon Stewart to do since he left his his Apple show and is probably getting a little restless? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think this is actually, this, this is a big moment for a number of reasons. And I think the most obvious among them is sort of for the like angst rattled liberal consumer who is just sort of like living in a constant state of panic about uh, the impending election and who feels, uh, as you and I have talked about, there, there's quite a bit of news fatigue and, and mm-hmm. doesn't know where they're supposed to go to in this media space, either for facts and information or, or more likely for consolation. Mm. They see John Stewart, again, if you're of a certain generation, they see John Stewart as this sort of generational voice who, in addition to being sort of a master of the craft of political satire, was in many cases like the most clear-eyed truth teller about what was happening in American politics, culture, media, etc. So you ask, why did he come back? Well, look, what is most notable to me about this whole thing is the media business, particularly the television business, is littered with marquee talents, household names, who leave like a position of prominence and go on and try to achieve second or third acts where they never quite live up to what they had done before. Mm. Let, like go down the list, Katie Couric, Brian Gumble. Where's Brian Williams right now? Letterman, Leno, Conan. So Stewart effectively did that. He wandered off into the relative wilderness, seemed to have every option available to him by dint of his celebrity, and then sort of landed at places, Apple TV, among others, that didn't really work. He tried to be serious. He tried to, sh- you know, he tried to shed a light on issues that he really cared about in a way that was much more serious than satirical. And that's not really what anyone wanted from John Stewart. Rarely does someone get the opportunity to come back into that position of glory to effectively like go home and to do so at a time when the thing that they offered, uh, albeit you know, a decade ago, it seems to be in really high demand. And so, yes, I'm probably more bullish than you about this. But but what I would say is that we are going to test a theory now, which is which we don't usually get to test, which is, can you do this again? Can you mm-hmm. sort of bring back the reunion tour in a different media landscape in a different late night landscape, but a political landscape that would seem to demand his voice. And can that be effective? And if it is, I think it will be a very notable development, not just in the in the industry, but a notable development in the larger sort of political cultural conversation in what is obviously a very, very uncertain time in American history. Yeah, if I'm reading from the press release here, and there's a few things that jumped out at me. One was this quote from Chris McCarthy, who's the president and CEO of Showtime MTV. This is all under the umbrella of Paramount, now uh, Comedy Central. John Stewart is the voice of our generation, and we are honored to have him return 
to Comedy Central's The Daily Show to help us all make sense of the insanity and division roiling the country as we enter the election season. That jumped out on me because, speaking of of a certain age, uh, I looked it up, Chris McCarthy is pure Gen X. (laughs) Sure. Like, Jon Stewart is the voice of his generation. And you mentioned Jon Stewart leaving almost a decade ago. But in fairness, the show really, really was in its heyday, I would say, in the you know end of the Bush years, I would say, sure, 2004, totally. into the early Obama years. And then it did become a little more serious. I think his peak of his powers might have been that rally to restore sanity on the mall back in 2010 in the Tea Party era. And we should give credit to Jon Stewart for being serious, by the way, over the years. He helped pass the Health and Compensation Act to support 9-11 first responders. Hard thing to do uh, in, in a divided Congress. And the other thing, Dylan, is that, and you talk about this all the time when we talk about the demise of linear television in the context of CNN or MSNBC or Fox, Comedy Central is when I turn it on in hotel rooms is mostly like South Park reruns <laughs> for me uh, at this point. I mean, this is coming back at a time when, you know, media is just t- so disintermediated and distributed. Speaking of 2004 and 2005, the commentary, the discourse was almost exclusively on television. And that gave The Daily Show so much chum at the time because they wanted to skewer all the cable news networks and the pundits. Um, you know, the, his famous appearance on Crossfire being the, the greatest example of that. The discourse has migrated to the Internet at this point. Politics is much more divided than it was even back then. And it just feels like politics, too, is, you know, on the left and the right is so strident. The sanity that Jon Stewart for so long was was clamoring for, it just feels like there's not even much of an appetite or market for that. So the flip side of Gen X is like Gen Z. And like, I think it'll be hard for Comedy Central to pull in Gen Z viewers, although they were really good in the Trevor Noah years of figuring out how to get their clips on YouTube and elsewhere. But that generation has a much more strident and earnest view of politics that doesn't really tolerate a lot of satire, I think. Um, John Stewart actually said this, Dylan. I went back and read this morning, by the way, uh, parts of The Daily Show, the book, The Oral History, which is really good. Everyone should read it. And John Stewart said the whole point of his rally to restore sanity was uh, not to really have an ideology, but he said the point was for us to be about, quote, if you're going to have an argument, have an actual argument. Be precise. Don't call people racist if it doesn't rise to that level of offense. Not be nice. But if you are at the same level of outrage over everything, then I guess you're not really outraged about anything. Right. And so I hope, you know, he can, and the writers on the show, go after some of the dogma and the stridency uh, and, and there's just like permanent outrage culture that frankly permeates the left <laughs> just as much as the right at this point um, because the tolerance for criticizing the left in particular uh, and other comedians have been talking about this, um, that's hard. So all right. of this is to say the media has changed, the tone and tenor of our politics have changed and the nature of comedy and satire has changed uh, in an era when I don't even know how to be satirical, like right. in the Trump era. So the challenge is very hard here for him. Well, I, I agree with that. And just a, a couple quick thoughts on that, which is one, you're absolutely right about the the sort of generational divides here. I don't think this is a play to sort of draw in people who are using Snapchat or TikTok or, or, mm-hmm. or what have you. 
I think the folks in TV land have grown a little bit more realistic about the nature of their business and who they're playing for. I think they know the vast majority of people still watching linear television, particularly in the sort of like news current event space, are, are much, much older. Mm-hmm. And I think what they are doing here is, at the very least, I think they're playing for that audience and bringing back again a sort of generational talent familiar to those generations um, will be of interest. Doing it on a Monday night, Mondays have sort of become in the in the liberal media mind have become like the one night of must see television. You have like that is Rachel Maddow's night. Uh, she is now preceded by uh, by Jen Psaki, who is sort of the uh, rising star, relatively speaking, over there. Mm-hmm. And and then now you could you could you can envision a world in which the relatively you know obviously it's not a very big audience but you can envision a world in which that audience comes to MSNBC for a few hours and then jumps over to see what John Stewart has to say and that is a meaningful bump and at best something that actually sort of captures the zeitgeist again and has Stuart showing up in the YouTube clips and on TikTok and perhaps penetrates through to other generations. But I also think it at least gives him a platform to maybe sort of, I don't know, change the discussion, change change the mm-hmm. change the national dialogue. The, the, what you are talking about, I mean, if you look across the cable news landscape, in addition to being increasingly irrelevant, it is increasingly absurd. And and so it is sort of rich with material for for him and his writers to use. And I think one thing, not, not to get too sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know, like philosophical about our current moment here, but I think one thing we can all agree on is that this is a particularly absurd time in American politics, and no one, no one has been able to come up and sort of articulate those, the, the sort of shared anxieties and frustrations of everyone outside of the MAGA faithful, right? Everyone who feels any sense of trepidation about a second Trump term sort of understands that it's sort of crazy that we're just like hurtling toward November with this being with this being a possible with a Trump term, another Trump term being a possibility and with the world sort of seemingly in like greater crisis than it's been in, in several decades. And yet, like we don't have because of how sort of nicheified the media landscape has become, there is not a voice out there who is speaking. Forget about Gen Z, Gen X, any of that. There's mm-hmm. not even a voice out there for the folks who sort of like hope against hope that they might get a Walter Cronkite back, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe, maybe because he is a known quantity among those generations, he can be that guy. And maybe because this is actually his core competency and he is so much better at this than he is at trying to do all whatever he was trying to do at Apple TV, maybe it can be a thing in 2024. And, you know, in the event that Trump does get reelected, maybe it becomes a thing again in 2025 and beyond. I'm gonna take a quick break, Dylan, and keep talking about Jon Stewart going back home again. Quick math. 
The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. I'm joined by Dylan Byers, and we're talking about the return of Jon Stewart to The Daily Show. Dylan, uh, another thing that made me skeptical was uh, I'm reminded of other like like band reunions, like Rage Against the Machine <laughs> or Guns N' Roses getting back together. Just never as good as it was <laughs> the first time. No, um, never. You know, Joe Gibbs coming back to the, to the Redskins or remaking uh, Point Break or like a movie that no one is asking for. I, I do think, though, you're, what you were just talking about before the break about how people are thirsting for some, again, to use Jon Stewart's term, sanity amid the chaos and division. I do think that is really important. I, you know, someone I thought of today when I was having a conversation uh, with a friend about this is, and he mentioned Bill Maher. You know, Bill Maher is out there on HBO trying to, you know, be, yes, politically incorrect as his brand, but trying to be logical uh, and call bullshit in a world where the orthodoxies of the left feel <laughs> a little oppressive sometimes in his mind. I think he overdoes it sometimes, you know, and then there's the sort of fire and anger on the right, too. And the question I have is, again, when he was at his peak powers, John Stewart, let's say, 2006, 2007, there were so many more moderates, independents out there, people hungering for like a nonpartisan voice. There were still swing voters. People would go to the ballot box and vote for a Republican for senator and a Democrat for governor. And like that just rarely happens anymore. Not to put everything in the context of the electorate. But do you think there's a real appetite, in other words, out there for a host 
on late night who's willing to call bullshit on both liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans, because I, you know, I watched MSNBC the other night on election night. There's no appetite (laughs) for contrarian views on MSNBC unless you're watching like after midnight. Uh, And obviously that's certainly true on Fox too. And then CNN has been struggling in the ratings because the people out there who care about a variety of voices and pop and, and, and getting facts in the middle of all of the spin and nonsense, that seems like a diminishing part of our culture. No, it, it, it absolutely is a diminishing part of our culture. And I don't I don't want to overstate the case. I, I still have PTSD from like, a you know, a, a decade or 12 years ago when I errantly suggested that there was going to be the social media platform Meerkat was going to like dominate the election <laughs> cycle. Like I, I'm very I, I, I by no means am trying to suggest I want to. One, it is by no means guaranteed that this will be successful. It is certainly not guaranteed that it will come anything close to matching the stature that Jon Stewart had in the heyday that you referenced. But certainly better than the current iteration. Certainly better than the current iteration. But just like, let's just contextualize this a little bit. We're not talking about all of America. We're talking about an audience of people who Mm. still watch linear television who are interested in public affairs, and who I think, and some of this is based on the you know the Pew research and the data, and some of it is just anecdotal, but who I think are generally feeling as if the media is not meeting the moment. Mm-hmm. Certainly, in terms of television media, that it is not meeting the moment, and no matter what their where they fall on the like centrist to liberal spectrum, they feel that. MSNBC has become too partisan. CNN has perhaps become too boring or uninspired. And they are looking for a person, a magnetic, charismatic personality who is the genuine article, who is genuinely themselves, and who is willing to offer a smart and entertaining take on what is happening in the country and the world right now. And so if the metric of success is capturing that specific audience, I think that I do think that this can be successful. And I do think that that Jon Stewart can go through another cycle as an important voice from that familiar perch. The other thing I I should stress, I mentioned earlier, is that when Trevor Noah took over, um, it it was a different kind of comedy and commentary, but they were really good Comedy Central uh, about getting Daily Show clips all over the platforms and like people will see the content regardless of whether they're sitting down to watch the daily show at 11 PM <laughs> on a Monday night. But you know, the other side of the Trevor Noah thing is that at the time John Stewart left Ferguson was happening. Um, school shootings were becoming more common uh, in the, in the daily show oral history. John Stewart even says, I'm glad I left when I did because I couldn't talk about more school shootings like every other night. And right. The nature of comedy has changed. In this book, you have a lot of female writers who complain that The Daily Show was a boys club, um, that it was too white. And now it's, you know, we've seen this with some of the fights over Dave Chappelle. Comedy about gender, comedy about race, comedy about sexuality, comedy about identity. It's just, it's hard. It's hard these days. Um, And so I'll be interested to see how he navigates that, how he stocks his writer's room. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm not confident he can do it. Um, I'm just saying 20 years ago, 
it was was high power high octane daily show and yes. the world has, has changed a lot so and, and comedy has changed as well so i'm interested to see if the current version matches our nostalgia you know it's interesting you that you bring that up it, it's a very difficult thing to talk about because it is it is so charged which is how can you be funny in an environment where there's greater sensitivity around certain things? It's interesting you bring up Chappelle because Chappelle has sort of arrived at a place in a career where in his career where he is sort of unimpeachable. And I don't, there are certainly people who will protest what he's saying or the remarks he makes about, you know, transgendered, whatever. But Netflix, you know, will stay, Ted Sarandos will sort of stand behind him and he is allowed to do what he does and he sells out the Hollywood Bowl and he continues to get deals. I think Jon Stewart is at a place, I would hope, in which he comes in here not, this is, I, I, by no means do I mean this to sound insensitive. I think that he is cognizant of the new environment. I think he is cognizant of what it is no longer okay to say and the jokes that are you you're no longer allowed to make but i think he is even more cognizant about the incredible sense of urgency right now for this audience and that addressing that and piercing through the bullshit and telling the truth and not spending too much time looking over his shoulder to make sure what he's saying is okay mm-hmm. is going to produce a very very compelling arguably controversial show but maybe it should be controversial you know i mean maybe maybe it should maybe it should say say some things that are uncomfortable and hopefully he can do it with the sort of you know humor and finesse that will sort of allow him to maintain his appeal even as he says those things the daily show's first election i think with john stewart was 2000 uh indecision 2000 that was an election where Many people were bored, tuned out, didn't like the choices, and ended up, in many cases, voting for a third party. So it'll be interesting to see how he navigates this election 24 years later when you have similar dynamics, but at the same time, it also feels like the state of our democracy (laughs) is at stake. I should say, for the record, Dylan, I'm rooting for this. I want this to go well. I just wanted to uh, pressure test some of the rah-rah this is amazing uh, stuff that I was seeing on Twitter today. No, and you're, you, you are absolutely right, too. Yes, yeah. and you, you are absolutely right, too. And we should we should assume by the law of no second acts in American life, by the law of the, the larger macroeconomic forces and the decline of linear television, that the changing landscape, the changing political climate, media climate, we should assume this will not be as good as the first act. But like you, I am rooting for it. Dylan, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.